Please be advised, the Kind of Movie Critics podcast may contain spoilers. This includes most of the movies you're going to want to see. This shit also contains profanity, so there's that. Enjoy. Hey, yo, it's Treasy. It's Martin the Mailman. And I'm Young Lazy. Kind of Movie Critics. We, uh, we here, man. I, I never know how to bring, you know how people say I never know what to do with my hands in the picture? Like, I never knew what to do with the intro of the podcast. And that's kind of my equivalent to that, man. How y'all feeling? It's the Black Three on the KMC. Hey, Black Three, baby. Shout out to Chandler and Corey. Get well soon, Corey. I don't know what Chandler's doing. He's out here being a rock star with gorgeous hair. Yeah. You know the vibes with Chandler. Yeah. What'd you say, Martin? Oh, yeah, I was saying, I was reiterating get well soon. No, he's heard up, but... he I got wanna that sh- Emmy to keep him warm. There, there you go. I want to, I want to shout, I want to shout Corey out because in the group chat, like a thing for everybody except me, mm-hmm. and Treasy hasn't done it in a while, but like, is to keep changing their damn screen names. Oh yeah, <laughs> is that we call it a screen name? <laughs> what was yeah. it? Nineteen ninety four more AOL. Um, but to keep right, changing right. their handles, <laughs> keep changing mm-hmm. their handles in the group chat, and like Corey does it the most often. The most. Um. So Corey was when he finished the mo- the wire, he changed mm-hmm. his name to Stimmy McNulty. <laughs> Stimmy McNulty. Right. And then when he got his Emmy nomination, he changed it to Stimmy to Emmy. And now this morning he changed his name to KRS One, but one like W O N. That was fucking clever. That like was it good. was clever enough that I had to screenshot it and share it with my homie Sean. Like, all right, Corey, like I see you. That was good. He, it was like he. Uh, yeah. For those of you who don't know, Corey's name is Corey Ray Smith, so he is KRS. <laughs> so like that was dope. <laughs> yeah, that was good. That was good. He yep. missed his calling as a poet. Yeah, Martin, you just you're still are you you still Pfizer Soze, right? Oh yeah, I'm still Pfizer so Yeah, yeah, yeah. You yeah. used to be Mega Martin yeah. for like the longest. Yeah. Oh, for years. What and what is Chandler's right now? I don't even know. I is it expert know. commander? Something like that. Yeah, expert yeah. commander. <laughs> yeah, yeah. See, Martin, Martin and Chandler are kind of like neck and neck with the change. Like, they, right. You know, they, well, you know, maybe once a year, maybe something like that. But yeah, Corey's right. like quarterly with his shit. <laughs> Corey's <laughs> like, I thought of some clever shit. Let me change my name. <laughs> that shit funny, man. Yeah, man. It, but, uh, it is. But uh, uh, I, I know we said we wanted to give a a, a rest in peace um, acknowledgement to uh, what, what's what's her name? I, I, Suzanne I, Douglas. There you go. There you go. <laughs> yeah, Suzanne <laughs> Douglas. Um, yeah, I mean, she she's been in a lot of stuff. She's been in House Teller, got a groove back. She last thing she did was um when they see us. But what what I really saw her on was the Parenthood, mm-hmm. and I always loved the Parenthood because it was like the alternative version of the Cosby Show, except <laughs> they were like middle class and they they kind of had like a foot in the streets because like TK was like the street dude, and Zaria was like everybody loved Zaria, and I always loved the mom because I mean it. It might sound weird, but in a lot of like black shows back then that weren't that were like family shows, like they didn't necessarily paint black women in like in their fullness. Like even mm-hmm. to a certain extent, I think Felicia Rashad wasn't necessarily painted painted in like who she completely was. And I think what I really loved about uh, the Parenthood and Suzanne Douglas's character is like 
she wasn't like afraid to like love like her her and Robert mm. Townsend like always loved each other like every time the kids were out they would like be making innuendos like you never saw that stuff in like sitcoms like you, you never saw black people being able to be their full selves in that way so I always just loved that about her and about that character but me personally I always thought Suzanne Douglas was just very gorgeous timeless poised um she had like there was just like if you like if you say like what is a black woman how should she carry herself like it was her (laughs) um um, even even in like stella where she's supposed to be like bougie snobby sister she still got it like i'm like (laughs) she right though ain't you cute like (laughs) even in your bouginess um yeah but just it's just sad to lose her. She wasn't she wasn't like very old, so rest mm-hmm. in peace to her. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You guys you guys honored her very well, man. I, I I'm I'm sort of ashamed to admit like she she went very much under the radar for me. And I and and honestly that's uh that's really a sign of a good actor to me, you know. Um you know, that they they play their role and it's it it's not necessarily there to steal the show or to, you know, it's just there to portray exactly what that person is, and and I guess she did it so well that I she didn't stand out to me, man. And um, I, you know, I, I hope that doesn't sound like a, a like shade because it it really isn't. But uh, to hear you guys speak of her that way, man, it it definitely makes me want to go back and revisit her work just to see what I didn't connect to, you know, what I didn't what didn't jump off the page for me, you know, just to kind of see. I think there's an art to being. Yeah. There's an art to being like another character. Like some people just don't have the ability to be another character and get lost in it. And that, that me really, along. <laughs> right. <laughs> and that really is a fine art, man. And uh it sounds like she really mastered that. So um there was enough people definitely on Twitter speak you know, enough people that I, I, I highly respect uh speaking very, very, very well about her. So uh so it's really dope to hear. Yeah, that, man. you should. If you ever got like mad hours to spend, you should watch Parenthood. It's a good show. I think Robert Townsend is like, he's extremely underrated, and as far as what he's brought to like black cinema and black TV, like that's absolutely. a fact. Hollywood Shuffle is one of my favorites. Yeah, yeah, he's yeah. the man. Robert Townsend been the man, um, and he definitely does get overlooked. I agree with you. I agree with you. He has a really good doc. I, th- I think he's behind it. There's like a, a a documentary that I think he was involved with. That gave like the history of like black comedians, and it was really, really it. fucking good. Really, very insightful, man. I learned a lot from it. It so. takes you from like minstrels up to like present day. It was very good. I've seen present it. day. Yeah, yeah, very good. And Mom's Mabley had me crying. <laughs> like, oh, like, not, like not like crying, yeah. laughing. Like when she was singing. Like, oh my god. Yeah, man. I cried. No, I'm with. You. I'm yeah. right there with you, man. Right there with you. But um speaking of black women comedians. <laughs> right, speaking of black women comedians, man, Sam J. Uh HBO Max, pause with Sam J, which uh it doesn't seem like, you know, it's, it's again, man, you know, Martin and I talked about hacks last episode and just the brilliance of HBO and we can't put our fingers on what their process is, man, but their batting average is absolutely the best out of any network um 
and we try to. Ch- I don't know if you listened to the last episode, Lizzie. We missed your last episode, but we try to. I definitely challenge- listened. I listened this morning. Okay. I didn't even know you put the shit out, but I was like, I was under a rock during yeah. the weekend. But, well, yeah, me yeah. too. Me too. Even though you know, even though I was there for the recording, but uh, do you have any idea of what they're like? How they keep their batting average so good? Is there? Do you have a hypothesis on that? I think that um, producers for certain audiences, for certain content, like figure out what works and then they they push that envelope further in terms of specificity. Mm -hmm. So if I had to guess, they're like, this demographic is responding to this. And obviously that comes out of a certain like area of content, right? Like of content creators within that, um, within like Time Warner or whatever. Right. And they, I think that they are just like, okay, these are the types of, of content that certain people respond to. And I think that they just work their demographic. And I think with an on-demand service like this, as opposed to um, live television, where you're very much limited by time, they have mm-hmm. unlimited potential for being able to please the people that show up for the shit that they like. Right. So, you know, it's not just like, who's who's there at 10 o'clock on Sunday? Like, because, um, you know, that's the spot you want, right? right. Um, it's like, okay, well, we can, there's room, for, there's literally room for everybody here. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, they kind of go through their cycles like uh with the 10 o'clock spot it's like sci-fi okay now black now now woman now you know what i mean now western now you know what i mean um where where is like you know and then we got like sci-fi and black like at the same time right right. (laughs) um so like they kind of cycle through these similar feeling properties um and then like i think kind of cross cross promote against like uh, what demographics are supporting what? If right. I had to guess, if I'm obviously have... not in the room. Shout out to me being in my mama's <laughs> house in the family room, but right. um, <laughs> um, but I mean, if I had to guess, that's what's going on. Um, See, okay, so what you're talking about, and that makes a lot of sense, right? What you're talking about is what content that they choose to sort of to produce and distribute. What I'm speaking about is like how does their production? Because once, because okay, we want to do a sh- we want to do this show cool now how do we maintain just integrity the you know the same integrity uh you know uh how do we maintain you know good production value j- good storyline like that's the part that i'm talking about like creatively I, I just wonder how how fucking hands-on and or, or are they not hands-on is that the secret you know do they i just... i think that they have they're people that they trust, and I think the people that they trust are walking more people into the room, if yeah, I had to is. guess. Yeah. Um, actually, I know that's how that works, because okay. <laughs> I know people who've been walked in, and, and HBO might have been like, cool, and, or they might have been like, nah. Yeah. So, <laughs> right, right. so um, that being said, like, I, I think that's what happens, and the more that you do that, you give yourself uh, more of an opportunity to work with a larger pool of talent that's going to continue to get it right. I also think in the very beginning, they're hands-on with a lot of stuff. Mm-hmm. And then once they see that, you know, someone knows what they're doing, they kind of give them more up. and more control. Mm-hmm. Well, I, well, shit, with fucking pause, man, I don't know. I mean, it's Prentice Penny. They're, it is Princess they Penny. They don't have a reason not insecure. to bet on Princess Penny. Yeah, like, that's true. Right. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> so I forgot. Princess, Princess can do whatever Penny. he wants. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Very true. I totally forgot Princess Penny was the was the showrunner on this thing, man. Um that, that And he and he knows what works for that demographic. Right. Like he knows what like a an older millennial well, I'd say like mid to older millennial like will respond to. Exactly. 
And, and for those who don't know, for those who are listeners that don't know, Princess Penny is the showrunner for Insecure, I believe. Um, he is. Yeah. So, yeah, shout out to Princess Princess Penny for that then. Um, yeah, another uh, Langston Kerman is a producer on this show, too. Um, he's, uh, I forgot his name, dude from Insecure. That's, yeah. A, yeah, like the one I told you. He has he has a really great podcast called My Mama Told Me about like black conspiracy theories. I don't love that podcast, but oh, shout out to him. The bisexual, yeah. the bisexual light skin from Insecure. Yeah, yeah, I didn't... yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, he has good ideas, but like he don't he don't have he don't no, I couldn't do <laughs> they don't, it. They don't land. I I listened to my mama told me and I wanted to like it because you were excited about it, and I was like, Yeah, y'all listen listeners out there, go support Langston Kerman because like you know if he's working with sam J and being able to make this good of a quality product like right. maybe maybe i just don't have the sense of humor to respond to to his podcast but y'all might like it i mean Man, martin likes it if, if he's responsible for some of these skits on his joint i definitely fuck with his sense of humor bro he really yeah i let's talk about it man this show okay. to, this show to me man this show to me was um this show was fire all the way around dog like from 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 how they produced it to you know the take the you know a very modern take on uh talk show like just yes. the whole thing about yeah. it the skits the 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 monologues you know that sort of wrapped up episodes sometimes everything about well, this show was on fire to me what do you think first like came the chicken or the egg like do you think they shot like the the apartment stuff first, and then from that they took those conversations and said we can make uh, skits out of this, or we can make yeah, like I do interviews out of this. Or you think they already had ideas about what they were going to talk about, and then had already set up like skits and interviews and stuff before then? See, I have a difference of opinion with you, but you oh, go first. <laughs> okay, so me personally, I think I think the topic you right. start with the topic, and uh-huh. then I feel like the topic. And I'm just, you know, putting on my producer hat, how I would do it. I would go to, for sure, I would go to the social environment because now you're getting different perspectives of these topics. And then based upon all those perspectives, you can sort of whittle and carve out um, uh, skits and, you know, all this uh, like auxiliary content to really sort of hit on all the cylinders that like the social environment was talking about. So it all kind of comes together. So it all sort of coagulates that way. That's how I would do it. I agree with you to a point. I think that she picks a topic. Mm-hmm. I think she is obviously, she feels however she feels about the topic. I don't think that the conversation that she's having most of the time is influencing her feelings. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that she is definitely like highlighting interesting perspectives that may not necessarily be the same as hers. But I think that those two things happen in concert. I think that um, she maybe has the conversation and then they're like, okay, who can we also talk to to about this and in the interview portion of it? And then like, how can we do a skit? I think it all happens in concert. Mm. And I think, I don't, I don't, I don't, cause there's no reason that you'd have to wait on one to do the other, which is brilliant from mm. like a production planning standpoint, because you don't, you don't have to like line everything up. Like I can, I can shoot all of my conversations, like, you know, right. and then I can shoot all of my skits and I can shoot all of my interviews. Like I don't have to make one happen before the other. I just have to make sure that they're centrally themed. Okay. And I think that's a good take on it. Well, let me hear what you got to say about it, Martin. I think that's a good take on it though. I'm not mad at that. 
What do you think? Yeah, I mean, I I think it's kind of similar to she kind of has an idea of what she wants to talk about at the party, and she might already be writing out sketches or already be setting up interviews, and and then she gets to talking. Because I think most of the, if I have a criticism of pause, I think a lot of it isn't necessarily a, a conversation. It's kind of just like Sam J getting off her bars while other people kind of talk around her. Mm. Whereas it's not necessarily like a give and take of a 50-50 um, conversation where both people come or the groups of people come out of it with like a new understanding. Mm. I agree. It definitely feels like she has, she wants to get her shit off. Like, yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. like, it's like, these are my opinions. And, and, and realistically, in an environment where you're sitting down with um, your friends like that at a kickback and y'all are engaged in conversations about like, you know, um, the happenings of the world mm-hmm. and you're providing like, you know, your social commentary. I think that like, it's very natural for people in conversation to hit on their talking points, the things that they're comfortable articulating or the things that they're going to say, right. um, whether or not like it provides like for a good dialogue or not. They're just like, this is how I feel about that situation. I'm going to get my shit off. They're yeah. not necessarily even taking in what you have to say anyway. Most people are thinking of what they're going to say back when you're talking anyway. So, <laughs> right, right. That's a fact. They're not even listening to you. So. Yeah, that's a, fact. Um, that's a good point. So, um, so yeah, I, I definitely agree with you. It definitely feels that way, but that does not feel unnatural because that is like a normal human behavior, if that makes sense. Yeah. Okay. It It is. It is. See, what you... Every okay, there's two things I would take in consideration of why that probably is what you guys are saying in terms of like the dominance of Sam J's voice, which obviously, I mean, the, the show is, is paused with Sam J, so it's gonna it's her fucking show. It's gonna be her show. <laughs> it's gonna be mostly her perspective. But even from a production standpoint, I think you got two things that are sort of uh, working in the favor to heighten or in, intensify her perspective. One is editing, right? Like. Yes. You know, there's way more conversation that happens that and we're only privy mm-hmm. to a certain thing. But the editing probably leans towards her too, is skewed towards her too, because um from a sound perspective, right? Like what's probably not happened is you're not miking up everybody in that party. From a sound No, I think it were I think it was obviously like a boom in the room. I, I would imagine on, on top of what like I'm sure she's mic'd. So so I I listened I listened to the Larry Wilmore podcast uh uh, Black on Air joint, and he he did an episode with Sam J, and that's what actually you guys had already talked about it. But after I heard Larry her on Larry Wilmore, I I was like, you know what? Let me jump into this shit and actually watch it. And he asked her about the production process and the party and stuff like that. And the way she was talking about it was like one of the rules that she set up was she didn't want boom mics. She didn't want boom mics, and she didn't want cameras to sort of like to sort of like um. Direct the flow of conversation. Direct the flow of conversation, but also be like a barrier of vulnerability for anybody, right? Like, so somebody Mm. may be saying something and it just looks weird. Now you got cameras and lights in front of your face. You just completely lose the organic nature of the conversation. So, you know, she didn't get into it much because she specifically said, I don't want to give away my secrets. But she alluded. This shit is hanging from the ceiling. Like, calm down. It's not that hard (laughs) to figure out. I don't even, I don't even, I, I don't even make, I don't even make, TV and I 
figure that out. That's I mean, and that could be it. That you're pro- you could be right in that way because I know she they definitely pre lit the sets. They they basically she said that you know HBO rented out a, a fucking facility. They pre lit everything. That loft then, is you fly. Know, they brought people into the environment. Obviously, you know. Um. So, uh, but even then, it's like so that means there's probably designated zones for conversations, which why you know we kind of see it all over again, like the kitchen or the dining room or the balcony. Uh, the living room, there's like designated zones, but, but yeah. Long story short, is I, I feel like that you guys are probably right, um, uh, and but in essence too, I think production helps sort of just skew it being more of her voice than anything. But I definitely think there's some people that like know they're on camera that yeah, they kind of show off and whatnot, or some mm. people kind of just like it's like a party, so some people just played it back kind of be chill, say stuff when they want to. Some people, like, mm-hmm. act out, so. Good point. Good point. So, so at the within the first couple minutes of the first episode, I automatically said to myself, I was like, oh, this shit is like Killer Mike's trigger warning. Uh-huh. Yeah. And, and I, you know, we never talked about it on the pod, but I loved Killer Mike's trigger warning, so I... I automatically got excited for this because I don't see Sam J in this perspective. I mean, she's a stand-up comedian. You know, yeah. she she. We always... definitely have talked about trigger warning on this show. <laughs> I mean, we didn't do like an episode about. No, nah, we I mean. didn't. Yeah, yeah, that's what I meant. Um, but yeah, you're right. It was adjacent. Um, uh, but but so I I never before this show I never really had like a I I never would have pegged Sam J to like social commentary outside of you know. Uh, as a comedian, right? Or did I just completely miss that? Um, I mean, it. I I never knew her to do like political commentary, but I mean, she she's a black queer woman. Like, I I would expect her to have different like things to say on different subjects just because of her experience. Um, I mean, the first time I heard, uh, Sam J. Well, the first time I saw her was like. She was on SNL, and I think she did like a a random sketch with like Chance the Rapper, where she played Uncle Phil, but she did have a line. <laughs> oh shit! Um, I, think I'm I gotta right. find that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I like gotta a find one that too. Shot like a two second shot because she's a writer, of course, so she's not supposed to be on camera. But they just used her mm. real quick or whatever. And and then Netflix had something where they they uh they glued together like a Cat Williams joke and one of her jokes like right after that. And that was the first time I heard her and like, oh, she's nice. Like she she's actually really good at comedy. Mm-hmm. And But a lot of her stuff was a, about like her girlfriend or about just everyday stuff. It wasn't necessary, politi- necessarily political, but I'm sure working at SNL for the time she did, she probably had to write for Weekend Updates. She probably had to write like political jokes, just a, just how political that, show has become right, right um so i didn't know anything about her before i watched this um mm. and i was just looking for something to watch and i i kind of had a feel just based on like the thumbnail and the little because you know how they'll show you trailers before you watch other content right i watch a lot of youtube and hbo just be like they got me with mara easttown the same way like i just want to look at this lady remodeling her kitchen cabinets like but <laughs> right. now i gotta watch this thing on hbo because <laughs> because of that because they, did they such know a good it job. right <laughs> right there's such a you guys you guys um so just from the little clips i kind of knew what the show was about but i wasn't ready to jump into it like 
full disclosure, like I, I had unplugged from like all kinds of political, political commentary around maybe like Valentine's Day, like after the Capitol riots, I was just like, it's fuck this shit o'clock. Like this is stressing me out. I'm not engaging. (laughs) So, so the most you get out of me is like 15 minutes of uh, up first from NPR in the morning. And I'm like, nah. So I've recently, and I had actually stopped listening to that too, but um, you should try it. It's refreshing. Just they give you news and you go about your business. Yeah. You told Uh, me that a few times. I need to jump on. So, um, uh, anyway, so um, I just recently have started to like re-engage with the news, basically, and like political commentary, and I've just kind of really been controlling where I'm getting that from, mm-hmm. and I try not to get it from social media. So mm-hmm. I figured this couldn't be but so heavy um, because she's a comedian, but I didn't know who she was, and I kind of binged the first three episodes and was like, okay. Um, and in in the first episode where she talks about like comparing herself to the equivalent of black people's how we would refer to certain kinds of black people as coons, mm-hmm. um, which I hate that word. Right. I do not use that word to describe black people if I can help it. Like um not always successful, but like ninety five percent of the time I would not say that. <laughs> but um okay. uh she was talking about um how in in the queer community, she's perceived as the equivalent of how black people perceive a coon um, mm-hmm. in that community. And I that made me like super curious. And she kind of like hit on it in the first episode. She's like, I tell a trans joke and like all of a sudden the queers are calling me a coon. Like, so I did after I watched those first three, I went and watched her um, Netflix special. Mm-hmm. And I understand why they were saying that. Yeah. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> right, right. Um, yeah. I understand exactly why they were saying that. And you're right. Like a lot of what she had to say was not political. It. Mm-hmm. I, I feel like when she started to talk about the queer community towards the end of the, the, um, towards the end of the special that it did get, it did start to touch on that, but she was speaking from a place of her, which she perceived her own community. I would argue that the trans community is not her community because she isn't trans. But yeah, um, <clears throat> but um, that being said, like a lot of her jokes were in service of uh, straight people, basically, okay. like the mainstream, but at the expense of her own queerness. Mm. I don't feel guilty about laughing at the shit. She said it, I didn't say it. <laughs> right. And it was funny, but yeah. like, how many times you need to remind me that you used to suck dick? Like, I get it, girl. Yeah, yeah. And you don't need to be ashamed. Dick is beautiful, but. Yeah, yeah. That <laughs> but, is. but she's. she's oh, that, well, that's how you pause. I I mean, I was talking, I was referring to, I was self indulgent here. I, I got you. I, I, I knew where you were going, but I couldn't, I could not say that that was pausing yeah. don't at me uh, that was hella homophobic but we just did but it's fine <laughs> so, uh, yeah. uh, i'm never gonna not tell pause jokes so you right. know if that if y'all gotta snatch my snatch my woke card for that like you can have it yeah, so, yeah I'm, so, I'm right there with you um but i mean it, w- it was funny to me if you like that brand of humor but i definitely understand why they feel that way about her um but I appreciate her having something else to say. Yes. I don't necessarily agree with 
more than 50% of what she said. Because yeah. I think some of what she said was a little bit short-sighted. But mm. we'll talk. I, see, you know, part of part of what I ga- what I gained from this was like um part of what I gained from this was like uh the and it, it sounds so obvious, man, but it's it's really not. I think I think the art of conversation gets lost, right? I was having this conversation with my homeboy, shout out to uh, Mario, man. I was having this conversation with my homeboy Mario yesterday. And you know, I'm I'm gonna make an analogy, but please, it's it, it's guaranteed it's flawed. Guaranteed, you know, just kind of look to what I'm saying, right? So I'm not gonna kill you. Where do, like where do you go to convert people to Christianity, right? Like like who like who do you convert to Christianity? Well, everyone who's not a believer. Nobody. But you're asking me this, or are you asking a rhetorical well, question? Well, <laughs> it's more of a rhetorical question, just to kind of like, I, the whole point is like conversation. We're in this place where we're scared to have conversations with people that don't agree with us, right? Or that we don't agree with. A lot of people, I'm not, and, and when I say us, I mean that loosely as America, as just people in general, like, yeah. not specifically the people on, the, on, on this podcast. Um, right. But people are in a place where having a conversation, having, just a civilized conversation with somebody they do not agree with is fucking like unfathomable. But in order to gain perspective, in order to sort of like expand your way of thinking about things, if the, if the ultimate goal is knowledge or if the ultimate goal is, you know, for me, the ultimate goal is like, I want to be able to absorb as as many perspectives as possible because I'm a filmmaker and I want to tell people stories authentically. So in order for me to understand it, I have to authentically like interact with it and genuinely listen to what people, you know, how, how they receive information, how they process information and their own experiences. So that's the use that I have for it. But some people just don't have a use for anybody else's perspective. But it's like, how do you impute or like expand on your knowledge if you're not talking to people that challenge what you think? It doesn't make sense to me. So, so to me, what I appreciated about this whole thing, as fucking as obvious as it is, was that she was having conversations with people that she probably didn't agree with for the most part. And I don't, I feel like I. I feel like this process was more about discovery for her than it was really about her trying to get people to switch to her opinions. I think it was like opening up the idea that people like this do exist, you know, like the black conservatives, you know, like it's, I, I honestly don't think she disagreed with them. I, I don't think she did. I, but I'm going to tell you what I, I'm going to tell you. This is what I, I think. I think mm-hmm. she learned. And I think that she started like, I, I, she, I think... she went and saw a very specific person. So when you say black mm. conservative, I think like Candace Owens, who I also don't believe believes mm-hmm. half of the crap she says. I think she says things to be sensational and to broaden her influence and to like right. give other people fodder for like firing at black people so like they continue to pay attention to her. Right. These people that she's talking to are more akin to like, shout out to you, Jeremy, a friend of mine who's a mm-hmm. black conservative mm-hmm. for very specific reasons, but is not socially conservative and does not talk to other black people the way that a Candace Owens would. Right. So, so if you talk to someone like that who is reasonable to a degree and like their reasons for being 
part of that cohort are not to garner attention for themselves. Like a pro-black conservative is not a weird concept at all. It's not at if, all. If, if they are pro-black. Right. right. <laughs> so like right, those two things can exist that that's different than calling yourself a Republican. Those yeah. things are not the same. So I honestly, in listening to her talk later on about her, her goals for herself, she's not so far away from them in her beliefs. Mm. She isn't. Right. So I don't, I don't, I don't necessarily think she learned something. I think in that moment she wanted to expose a different perspective to people who might not necessarily be open to listening to someone with at face value mm. with that political identity. I, I get so exactly someone tells me like yeah. you're a black conservative, mm -hmm. right? I'm like, that's cute. But if you tell me you're a pro-black conservative, then I'm like, what does that mean? <laughs> right. Mm. And then if I'm listening to you and like, you know, we're probably you're, we're probably going to agree, agree on a whole on a lot, lot of things. Of shit. Yeah. Okay. Um, so, yeah. So I, I don't think, I think the way she's stepping into some of these conversations is not as difficult as what you're talking about. Mm. Um, and, and, and I agree with you. Um, I just told you, I stopped listening to the news, mm -hmm. which is something I used to do every single day at work mm -hmm. while I was writing. Um, That's exhausting for sure. It, it, it became exhausting. Mm -hmm. It was it was, you know, I'm a, I'm a person who's like, I want to eat up the world and just like know everything. So, <laughs> which is why, like, if you're like, talk to me about <laughs> Ignatius rocks, I can fucking tell you. Cause I'm like, I don't know about rocks. I'm gonna learn about rocks. Mm. So, but like, it got to a point where, um, you are right. It's not. People's willingness to engage with people who disagree with them has dwindled because nobody is actually interested in mm -hmm. learning about a different perspective. Mm -hmm. They're all trying to get their talking points off and digging themselves farther into these political identities that they have for themselves. Yep. So it becomes futile. And to use a silly word, it's exhausting. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm like, if something is exhausting me and I'm choosing to engage in it, like I can also choose not to. Right. So I think that's where a lot of people are. Um, and it's not a fear that I have. It's just like, it's futile. Mm -hmm. So why am I doing it? Mm. You see what I'm saying? Yeah, Which is yeah, different yeah. than me not actually wanting to know what you think. Um, it's me going like, how is it benefiting me or you? Mm to engage in this way? And the answer is like, it's not. Mm. It's not. <laughs> like, there's no amount of me telling you to care about what I have to say that's actually going to make me care about what you have to say. Right. Hmm. So, okay. Then, then, so I'll say, okay, I'll say, I'll, I'll, I'll put myself into the viewer's shoes, right? Because, that, that, I, you know, obviously we watch this as viewers, right? Mm -hmm. um, um, I, I will say there are, so like, the, all right, the episode with, when like the studs and they were sitting on the couch and, you know, and, 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 and you know, had their breast out basically. Pregnant studs. Pre pregnant, yeah. Is, is, <laughs> that was, that was the name of the episode, oh, don't stud? at me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, the, you know, that whole, that is not... That's not a conversation that I would normally have or walk into or be exposed to at all. Yeah, I it, didn't even know that was a thing. There oh, you go. I knew it was a thing. I don't know how how much are y'all interacting with the queer community online. 
Um, not much. Not much. Uh, you know, the, like... How many? I, I mean, and, and this is this is like not me like measuring your wokeness, sure, but sure, just sure. me wanting to understand like why that might be. I mean, do you, are there are you like do you? I have a lot of queer I'm a, friends. I'm <laughs> so aware like, of stuff, but I did I didn't know any. I don't know much about like the black queer community. Most of the stuff I've seen online is kind of just like mainstream stuff. Like, right. I didn't really know that people just were out here without shirts. I mean. If they want oh, to do that's that, more thing. power to them. I didn't know. Yeah. No, studs at studs at the beach with their titties out. Like I've I've seen that, and they just be like lined up next to regular yeah. niggas with their chest. But I mean, something about that dumb. feels that something about that something about that is also don't at me. Like is not. It kind of makes me call into question why exposed breasts would be taboo, right? Mm-hmm. Because it's, these are these are very much them not sexualizing their breasts. They're doing right. the opposite of that. They're wanting to like normalize you looking at their chest yes. and it not like being a problem for you. And that is something that as a as a proponent of breastfeeding in public that like I fully understand, right? Mm-hmm. But there's there's something about that that is seeing studs with their breasts out in photos on Instagram on the beach where like they're just like the same way that like, you know, a dude on the beach with his homeboys where they're huddled up with their arms around each other. There's nothing sexual about their chest being out. Mm-hmm. There is something about that that is like beautiful to me because mm-hmm. what I see in that moment is that they are free. Mm-hmm. And that is not a thing that like black people have a whole lot of room to experience. Mm. So it might seem like nonsense to whoever's listening to this and doesn't agree, whatever, you can have your opinion, but Mm -hmm. like there's, there's, and it's not even me like going like, yeah, studs, titties out. I'm just kind of like, hmm, wow. And, 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 and just the freedom of the authenticity, authenticity of being able to be yourself is something that I admire. And when I see those images, that's what I look at. And yes, it's a thing. That, and and I think that's a valid thing. See, see you, and so it's see you were already informed on something like that being a thing, uh, and and I'm gonna speak for you, Martin. I could be wrong. If I am, please, I apologize. I didn't even know that was a thing to eat to to yeah, be able to celebrate it, right? So it's like so now knowing it's a thing, and then having that show providing a platform to open up a conversation that I otherwise just wouldn't have known about. Now I can celebrate too, and, and you know, hearing you talk about it, seeing what it stands for, and hearing just a genuine perspective of. of of what it means just to be, you know, titties out. Now I can put on my pom-poms and champion as well. Otherwise, like, had I not had somebody sort of usher me into that conversation, I would have had to get past the barrier of me being a man and seeing titties, number one. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Then the then the next barrier of, like, wait a minute, that's a stud, too. Like, why are the titties out? You know, I was like, I would have had to go through so many layers of questions in order to be able to celebrate, as opposed to somebody just bringing the, the subject to me and telling me why it's important. Now it's like, I get to the meat quicker. You know what I mean? I get, no, pause, right? Like, <laughs> I'm glad Dame Dash ain't listening to this joint. He probably have a, he have a fucking aneurysm. Uh, you know, I could get straight to the, to the situation a lot quicker like to 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 what's to be celebrated a lot quicker when somebody's bringing the conversation to me and and to me that is the brilliance of this particular show 
is is and and me personally like it's it's a conversation that i maybe like am curious about but i'm not comfortable stepping into as someone who's not part of that community right that because too. i'm i'm talking right now about how i perceive that but i'm not i don't want to talk over somebody who's actually experiencing it so like mm. my perception of that is like they're like i'm going to present masculine like and so i'm not going to let my titties stop me from doing that mm-hmm. and that you know i'm like that's kind of cool. Yeah, <laughs> like, you know fun. what I mean? Because <laughs> yeah. you know what I mean? Like them, them saying like, you know, a lot of other women, like she was talking about, like that will tape their breasts down. And that's kind of like you feeling like you, in order to present masculine, yeah. you like it's suppression, you have, you have to like, yes, yeah, suppress a part of yourself. Yeah. And it's just like, no, I'm going to free this part of myself. I think that's really dope. Right. I'm hate- not about to be outside with my titties out. But, <laughs> that's a fact. That's a fact. But I like, I like that they get to like, if it's something they want to do. There you go. There you go. And then, so, so, was that the same episode with the Ricky Williams interview? No, that's um, episode three, I think. Yeah, Uh I think that's episode three. Okay. We kind of talked about it a little bit on the Hacks, and we said that we were going to get to it on the Hacks episode. We said we were going to get to it uh, in, in this pod. But let's talk about that Ricky Williams interview, dog. What did it do for you, Martin? Um, it definitely shed a light on a lot of things because he was he was always kind of a punchline in the uh, NFL, mm-hmm. just in popular culture because he he got suspended for smoking weed, like continuously doing it. Mm-hmm. And once you once you hear him, he how he grew up here, he got like kind of funneled into NFL just because he was like a af- well funneled into football and sports just because he was athletic, but. That that wasn't really what he cared about. That wasn't his brain. That wasn't wasn't really what drove him. So to hear that is just like uh, I'm kind of happy for him that he kind of found this piece and found other ways to fulfill himself and is in like a good place, you know. Because a lot of people leave the NFL and do terrible. Like so, just kind of understanding to some degree what happened with Ricky, and then like hearing it from his perspective, what happened. It's like you totally fucking get it, you know. So in this, yeah. in that same vein of like freedom and not having to suppress yourself and you being who you want to be, and also not being, not being, um, I guess sort of like pigeon held to other people's image of you because of the profession that you chose, you know, like letting your profession define you, especially when it sounded like he was really using football as a vehicle. He thought football was a vehicle to be able to become more of himself, but it's right. like the more he the 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 more he performed, the more he was just sort of contained to what everybody else's image of him should be, and it just sounded like he fucking had enough of it. I mean, the thirty for thirty was already good, but just hearing that, like him being you know years years of have passed you know uh processing and being able to articulate it a lot better it was just really good hearing it from the horse's mouth that like yo no i'm not it it ain't because i wanted to just fucking smoke weed (laughs) you know all day and all that shit it's a lot deeper than that like i wanted to be me and the nfl is not a place where you can be you and that's something that i think we all knew or we're all kind of finding out especially with like cap and kneeling and you you just that's not a place for you to have your own ideologies if it doesn't align with the corporations um so well, it was, what workplace is yeah that i mean that's kind of true i mean you know uh, 
I'm sure there's some. If we, they, I, I tell you what, maybe, maybe, maybe you're not. Um, maybe a, a workplace doesn't promote like self-expression, but maybe it also doesn't like punish you for it either. You know what I'm saying? Like, I don't know. I I can't think of a profession off the off the rip that is like that, but. It's I like would, I, I would say like like a like an, unless you're like a newscaster who gets paid to talk like that, but um, mm. or or you know if if your primary function is to is to interact in certain ways or to present your, present yourself on a platform publicly in certain ways, um, mm-hmm. you know if we if we had a boss <laughs> in right. this arena, like maybe there would be ways that we we can't present publicly. Yeah. Um, like adverti- which, you know, like advertisers, right? Well, like right. you couldn't say what you want to say if there were certain advertisers. Right? Yeah. And there and there's there's a way, you know, in any corporate job, depending on who you have to interact with, that you are expected to conduct yourself when you're acting on behalf of that entity. Mm-hmm. So, um, does that make it okay? I, I don't really have an opinion about that, but I mean, it's a it's a thing for most people. Yeah, that's true. That's true. I guess w- when you start when you start throwing in how much money these people so so somebody who doesn't have any experience in a high paying profession like sports or entertainment or something like that you look at like the money becomes the tool to be more free right that's the perception of it is like well shit you making all this money you should you should be fine with this you should be fine with that but really like when you start breaking down the transaction and you know uh, customers always right and you know shit like that it really the powers in the people hands who are paying you. Right. So, so somewhere along, like you can understand that when you're talking about, when we're talking about, you know, jobs that you, you work 40 hours a week, you get a you know paycheck by weekly or weekly, you can understand it in the confines of that. But once you start tossing around millions of dollars, I think it's harder for people to understand that like, yo, they're paying they are paying for you to be a personality or a thing that fits into the cog in this machine um so it so it's partly naivete on my behalf you know of why that was so interesting of a conversation to me um but it was it was just really good hearing it re- hearing the reassurance because I, I it's like i felt the same way about dave Chappelle too you know when he was going through his shit and people were like this guy's crazy he's on crack he went to africa he's fucking drug addict and it's just like, no, nah, man, the dude just, he's tired. <laughs> you know, he's exhausted. It, you know, right. you know, he's just burnt out from having, from being this thing, you know. Um, so it's always good hearing those moments. Uh, wh- what other moments in, in these episodes stuck out to you guys? I, I, I live for, so that was my, the sketch that I like the most, like when she was trying to send hoteps into space. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. <laughs> It's breast under there, like. <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, yeah. Fucking, um, I know, uh, I think it was episode two, man. Shout out to Derek Grace, man. The homie Derek Grace. He made a, he made an appearance on the jam, uh, the, the episode where she, the, the dude she was at the shooting range with, you know what I'm talking about? I think it was episode two. Yeah. Yeah. That's, uh, it's Derek Grace, man. He's like a, you know. I don't want to say an internet personality because to me he's bigger than that. But I don't know if y'all remember years ago seeing those videos that were going around with the the dude with the tattoos on his face and he was teaching his young kids like how to they were like loading guns while they were, you know, reciting like you know, black economic and uh principles and stuff like that. Do y'all remember that? 
No, nah, I never saw that video. Oh yeah, well, I, I I've seen it. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that his name is Derek Grace, man. He's he's evolved. You know, I mean, he's always been that. But if you've been watching him over the years, man, he's he's taken his empire to a whole nother level, uh, in terms of just um, uh, you know, financial freedom and really trying to give people the playbook on how to be uh you know, just financially independent from his perspective. But uh yeah, it was cool to oh. see him in this joint. Oh, the one the one that killed that got me was like I didn't even know concierge doctors were like a thing. Me either. Like, I'm I'm sure rich people got better service, but I didn't know like there's literally like doctors who are like, I'm only gonna treat you if you can pay me this amount of money and I'll come to your house. Like, yeah. I mean is is that what it actually is though? Like or I, don't, I, I always think about actually, like doctors, yeah. doctors making house calls, like is, is seems is all it really is. Like you're making house calls. And that was something that in the fifties doctors did. And, mm-hmm. and yeah. it was something that was, was more accessible than it is now. Cause healthcare was different. The landscape of healthcare was different. Um, healthcare was accessible to who it was accessible to. And then, you know, your, your options for seeing a doctor and what that looked like. And especially in the black community, like that was one of the things um, from Eve's Bayou, the father was making house calls. Like mm-hmm. that was how he was cheating. Right. Right. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, yeah. Yes. Um, but like think, but even in that situation, like that was a community of privileged black people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so um, I'm like, that's all it really is. And it's like most doctors are unwilling to do that. Um, if they are, really, really interested in servicing their community in a way that allows them to interact with as many patients as possible. Mm. When she was talking about her motivations for wanting to move into this space, I honestly think that is the best place for her because she is not a person, from what I could tell, who wants to be in situations where her primary job is to comfort a bunch of, of, of people. She doesn't want to do that. She won't make money. You talking about Sam J? Or you no, talking I'm talking about, about the doctor. No, the, uh, concierge. Yeah, the concierge. <laughs> the concierge doctor. doctor. Okay, okay, okay. Uh, she is not. She is not suited to be in an ER. She is not suited to be in a traditional office because she literally was telling us like she didn't have the temperament for that. That mm. wasn't what she wanted to do. That wasn't the community that she wanted to service. And to me, it's kind of like if that's not the community that you want to service, you shouldn't. Mm. You shouldn't. You're not fully invested in them and their well being. You wanting to make money. So go to where you have, you'll do the least damage doing that, which is where she is. So I'm perfectly okay with her like doing what she does. I don't think that that's a moral question at all. You mm-hmm. see what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, yeah. if you can't be the most useful in that space where people need you, like, don't be there. That's the best thing you can do. Mm-hmm. That's a good point. Yeah, that's a I ain't seen nothing wrong with what she said, but that was, that was, that was like, you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. and, 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 and if, and my, uh, my best friend, God rest her soul, she talked about wanting to be an anesthesiologist. And I talked to her mom about that. And like one of the conversations that she used to have was like with me was like, you know, anesthesiologists can see this many patients in an hour and they make this much money and they do this little teeny bit of work. And it seems like a job where, you know, I can I can maximize my profit with with not having to like do all this other stuff. Mm -hmm. And her mom gave me another perspective. She said, when you're an anesthesiologist, your job is to comfort people. Mm. And your primary concern should not be how many people you can see in an hour. Right. It should be how comfortable you can make people yeah. in the time that you are interacting with them. Right. And your job is to make sure that they're not experiencing a bunch of pain. 
Yeah, and then well, yeah. also that they, you know, that they're getting the right dosage just because, you know, right. there there's a lot of lot, you know. I mean, you've heard I horror mean, stories about people. Sure, uh, and and and, and I, I kind of maybe take that part for granted that you know what you're doing, but yeah, yeah. you're you're and, and she said that your your primary goal should be someone else's comfort, yeah. not your money. Not your money. So yeah. if you in that environment cannot be focused on somebody else's comfort, you should not be there. Mm-hmm. And so I kind of was that conversation was replaying in my head as this woman was talking. And I was like, she should, she shouldn't be where she's not going to be. most Right. Right. Yeah. I've, I've, you know, I learned that somewhere along the way that the money should actually be the byproduct of you doing your job. Well, as opposed to, like you said, the motivation for doing the job, uh, because if you, I don't think that's true. Huh? I don't, I don't think that's true. I think that it is perfectly okay for your, for your money to motivate you in certain situations. But when we are talking about the primary function of your job being you to care about somebody else. Yeah. Then, then, then no. Then yeah. Then that, well, that, that, that's a place where it, it's more that, unacceptable, I guess. And I, and I guess maybe what I'm talking about is a personal philosophy. That's what I've picked right. up along the way for me. Like, it, you know, I, there's a, there's a place where it becomes more important for me to be good at what I do. Because the better I am at what I do, the money becomes the byproduct of doing that thing, regardless of what the job is. You know, like, you know, the, if you're clocking in, the money's there, right? Like, so mm-hmm. that's that. So now the next objective is to be efficient and effective so that way, you know, you you get – you have an opportunity to level up. And, and you know, You're and, creating and, value for yourself yeah, when you approach, your, when you approach you your job that way. You are literally earning the money that you make. There you go. So – you're, you are still focused on your earnings potential, but you're creating that through the quality of your work, which is actually the same way that I approach my job. Yeah. Like, you know, I can be I can be bouncing all around trying to just chase whoever's going to give me the biggest bag. Yeah. But in doing that, do I give myself the opportunity to develop to where, like, maybe someone doesn't want me to leave? Yeah, probably not. Right. Yeah. And, and, <laughs> so, and that's the cheat code, right? I think that's, right. The, that's the part that gets missed because we are and i mean we're you know we're a capitalistic country we're a capitalistic society mm-hmm. so so it, it's it's easy to lose sight of that but really that's the cheat code just be extremely valuable and irreplaceable and that money will never stop <laughs> you know um you know it, within the means of you of what you can control i should say uh, you know, now i that that episode was probably where i disagreed with her the most mm-hmm. with with sam the most when she was talking about like people participating in the um the political process from a place of fear and she kept directing the conversation at black people which i kind of understand because she is a black person right mm-hmm. and we tend to speak from a place of our own experiences if we're smart mm-hmm. that's what we do mm-hmm. what she failed to realize is like that's how politics is marketed to white people too. Mm. That they that they are also in survival mode mm-hmm. and that like they're not going to be able to survive if things go a certain way. Mm-hmm. Fear is used to market pretty much everything, everything. politically to yeah. us. And that is not something specific to black people. So she's like, we're not fully participating in the process because we're in survival mode because of fear. And I'm like, Everybody in the process is doing that. Right. We are fully per- we are fully participating in the process because that is what the process is. Mm. There is no there is no place outside of that unless you are the one doing the marketing. Mm. But yeah, as a regular consumer of you know the the political process where you're not instrumental in it in this country, like that's what it is. Yeah, 
that's what voting is. Yeah, <laughs> like that's, that's deep. No, you're you're absolutely right. I mean, when nobody you is selling away, you on themselves. Like yeah. at that point, yeah, they're selling you on 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 concepts to be scared they're, of. No, <laughs> right, right. They're yeah. they're selling you yeah. on fearing what the opposite of not having them is. There it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> um, but, and that that yeah. is a situation for everybody. You know, like for us, it's like, well, the cops are going to kill you all, and then for white people, it's like they're going to take your guns. Yeah. So. Like, <laughs> They're, they're still being marketed or that or that as a white person, you're going to be displaced mm. like that, that your your existence will. I mean, for lack of being able to put it a better way, will not be centered anymore. And you will you will now like have to experience what everybody else is experiencing. Mm. That's what they're being told without being told that directly. Yeah, it's a lot of dog. So, yeah. 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 Yeah, dog so, I mean, and the, the other thing she was talking about is like people who are above the political process and how she wants to be there. That's like five people. <laughs> right. So that, so she was like, there are white people who don't have to think about any of this. That's like five people though. Like mm. that is not the average white person. That's not like 20% of white people. That's not even 1% of white people. It's like literally five people. <laughs> mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and, and that's, and, and there are white people who could live above the system, but they choose not to. Mm. You think about like the Koch brothers, right? Um, well, when they were both alive, but mm -hmm. they were, cho they were choosing not to live above the system. They were choosing to participate in a system in a way that would, would, uh, predict the best outcomes for them. Mm. And they had the money to do that. No, no matter who was in office, like, they're just like, okay, we're going to, we're going to try to influence you to do what we want. Mm. And then you have someone like Bill Gates who touts to like live above it, but really doesn't <laughs> like, you know what I mean? So I'm just kind of like, that's, that is literally like five people. Like mm. who, who are we talking about? Hmm. Good point. Good point. Martin, were you about but to she was saying it with like so much oh, conviction, like yeah. she dropped the jewel. Yeah. Like, <laughs> and I was like, girl, hey, you, got, you got to sell the jewels. You know, Some, sometimes you're trying to sell a cubic. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> what were you going to say though, Martin? Well, do you think like with black people, it's not more urgent than I guess, because the threats that we face, like you said, talking about um, like the police killing us, I could go on my phone and see like dozens, hundreds of videos of that happening. People being sold that like Antifa is going to run in their house or the government is going to take their guns can't really show like one instance of that happening. I, I agree with you. However, like the sense of urgency is relative. Yeah. Yeah. What you what you perceive to be urgent is what's affecting you. Mm -hmm. They they perceive that to be just as urgent. Mm -hmm. That's the experience that they're having. I'm not in their headspace, but like yeah. the way that they react would tell me that like yeah. right. it is it is urgent like a motherfucker for them. Yeah. Like that they are they are scared. Maybe even more so than we are. Like we've kind of been conditioned to like expect bad shit to happen to us. Yeah, that see that's the part that's the part that like. I worry about a lot. I worry about that a lot. And I seem to have more conversations about that, it, that, you know, some, I, I gotta be careful how I'm saying this because I don't, some stuff I'm wondering how much of what we deal with is self-inflicted. And I don't mean self-inflicted, like we're doing it to ourselves, but self-inflicted, like we are, we're, you you know you said something you said something earlier i can't remember if it was off mic but just about like not giving energy to certain things to certain concepts or certain people because it makes the brand bigger 
how much of yeah i definitely said that off my oh, okay yes. well, it's cool it's cool we don't <laughs> no, have no, to no, say no, why no, it's fine because yeah. I've, I've, I've said that publicly though yeah so, like... so how much of that do we deal with from the fear standpoint is you know how much of that is candy man you understand what i'm saying like we know it exists right we know it exists and this is this is a a bad analogy for Candyman because you know it's not about Candyman existing, but we know certain things exist. But the more we acknowledge the monster, that's kind of the thing, right? Like that's it's like every horror movie, right? Like it, you know, it can only fucking kill you if you're scared, right? Like, but you have to be scared of it in order for it to interact with you in that way. And it's like if you just fucking don't be scared of it then the monster leaves you alone. And it almost feels like a metaphor for sometimes what happens to me that I fear happens in the black community is that like we make monsters, we give monsters the gasoline that they need to fucking, to, 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 to eat us. Now I'm not talking about the incidences that actually happen. I'm talking about the, 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 the same, the same concept that Martin just said in terms of like, you know, they can't show us an incident when, you know, somebody running and taking their guns or whatever they can. So we're talking about hypothetical fear. Right. And even though there's 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 lived examples to make that fear night hypothetical. They actually run and take our guns. They don't take them from white people. OK, that, that, that you know, <laughs> so that, that, that too. But but that's what they've actually been trying to do. Shout you, out to. You 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 kind of you kind of which makes you somebody again bringing it back. I mean, to shout out Grace. to being like a, a black identity extremist. Like that's yeah. what they're actually trying to do. Right. So, but yeah, that, the conversations I've been having more is like how, and it just comes. I, I feel like every time I say I, it, it's I like a place what, I feel of like you're under. You know? No, I I understand what you're trying to say. Yeah. No, but please break it down because I, I'm sounding real stupid. I know what I'm trying. I don't to say. think that you sound stupid. I think that. um there's some there's some merit to like a four year old should not be scared of the police. Like at four years old, I was not scared of the police. Exactly. At four years old, like there were plenty of black kids around me who I knew who would say I want to be a cop. Yeah. Um. Do I think that a four year old could be attacked and killed by police? Like they have been, yeah, right? Absolutely. But a four year old should not be walking around with that fear. There you go. There you go. That 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 is it in a nutshell. Yes, it. And happens. you know, like I don't. I mean, and and I'm talking from a place of privilege too. We've been over this. Like I'm not. I'm not. I am black, but I'm not male. Right. I'm not particularly physically intimidating. And even as a black woman, like I'm light skinned Like darker women, studies show have been like are are more likely to be attacked. Yeah. So like um, you know, me walking in a tropical smoothie yesterday, and there's two cops standing there. Like I don't think any. And I also live in like. You know, this area of Virginia where, like, there's not a lot of crime like where, where we live. Like, we don't live too far from each other, for those right. of you who are listening. Um, like, so, like, me walking into Tropical Smoothie and seeing cops, like, cops where we live are not killing people. So, mm -hmm. in our particular city, they are in the cities adjacent. Right. But, like, I don't have that fear because it's not something that I'm directly experiencing, right? Which, right. like, essentially makes me a white person, yeah, yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. Um, and that, and that, that aspect of like having that perspective so i do think that we are both talking from a place of privilege because we're not in an environment where we have to be talking to our daughters mm -hmm. like that yeah or even if i'm not having to even if i'm not having that conversation like it's very unlikely that our daughters 
are going to have to interact with that on their own outside of a conversation that we're having. Right. You see what I'm saying? Whereas, whereas a kid in the projects, like it doesn't matter what I say to them. They're seeing shit. (laughs) Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. That, that might, that might make them scared. So at the same time where I'm, where I am saying like a four year old should not be scared. Um, there are four-year-olds who do need to be scared, but a four-year-old should definitely not be scared because they're being exposed to shit from social media. Yeah. Well, yeah. Treasy, well, how do you think? How do you think you can mobilize the black vote or just any vote in particular without fear? We gonna fix Black America on the KMC podcast. No, no, <laughs> yeah, that, that's above my pay grade. I mean, I'm not a politician, yeah. you know, and and and. I'm, I I understand black people are not a monolith. Like I understand I understand that I understand that saying. For me, that means that's more something I need to understand as opposed to me getting another culture of people to understand that black people are not a monolith. You know, um, mm-hmm. so so my experience is not going to somebody's going to hear this and be like, "Yo, Treasy's the this nigga is off the chain." Because we should absolutely be scared, you know, and I and I and I and I respect that, you know what I mean? Like, for me, it's not I don't think everything can be fixed, you know, just because, you know, it's I mean, it's just law of averages, law of numbers, man. Everybody's not going to have the same experiences in life. And that's just what it is. But I, I think there's certain things that we can mitigate on our own. And fear is absolutely one of them. As somebody like I've never been physically harmed by the police, but I have a thousand percent had a gun pulled on me by a police officer for something that was absolutely nothing over a parking space. OK, over over a fucking loading zone. I've had a, a, a gun pulled on me to my face by a police officer. And even with that intact, and that was a very like I think about, I, I have the same reaction Trey has. To, it had like boys in the hood to where it's, it, like when I think about it how it fucking torments me mentally and I just want to go fucking hand to hand with that cop like I like I want to fight that specific cop like I've thought about this you know but even with all of that being said I am not afraid of police but that is a I choice just, that that I have to make you know what I mean I just imagine you going home and fighting the air <laughs> <laughs> I was I was tight. I'm talking tight. Every time I think, every time I think about it, because I'm like, yo, that could he really could have shot me in my fucking face over a. I mean, I mean, zone. not to make light of your experience, because yeah. like obviously that's that is that would that has not happened to me, which is why I can say like I sit in a place of privilege. I think that you saying that means something completely different than me saying. Right. It. Like you understand what I'm saying? Yeah. And, and about and, how you feel about fear in those situations. And 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 and, about, and then even with me saying that, then there's there's also, you know, there's Eric Garner's, there's, you know, there's Philando Castile's, there's, you know, uh, uh you know, George Floyd's. I mean, there's Breonna Taylor's. There's people that sit on the other side of that and you know, the experience was way worse, you know, like obviously, it, you know, it costed them their life. So from even for me saying that, you know, it's it's just a middle point, right? Like it, it's just a middle point of like rewind. Everything that I'm just trying to say is basically, you know, what you said, man. Like I think cautious, I think cautious and awareness is absolutely necessary. I think that's part of survival is understanding that there is a threat you know, in the deep part of this particular inset of the woods, right? There is a threat here that you need to be aware of. But that threat existing should not stop you from running through these woods. You know, if if what's on the other side of it is valuable to your survival as well. 
you know, and, and, and a lot of times that's the place that's the place that I wish we could be cautious about. It's like, don't not go through these fucking woods because you think something can kill you, bro. Be, if, if what's on the other side of that is a lot, is a lot better I'm than... Lot, I'm absolutely not going into the woods, but I know it's bare in there, nigga. Like, <laughs> I, I hear you. And, 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 and that's cool. I mean, that's a very wide analogy, but you understand what I'm saying, right? Like, it's, No, I don't, but it's okay. I've been in the woods with a bear before. <laughs> yeah. And and how'd you feel? I mean, and you and you have my respect that you live, my nigga. But like, uh, yeah, it was like I was really young. My dad took me camping or something, and uh, I guess he woke up because we heard something, and and like it was like it wasn't like a huge bear, but it was probably thank like, God a mid level bear <laughs> like going through our food. Mid level, that should still knock your head off. It was a mid boss. That should still knock your head off, chief. Yeah. I seen I seen the revenant. No, thank you. Yeah. I mean that's different. That's literally like I see that bear nigga over there, but fuck it, I'm going here anyway. Like. Right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But, but yeah, man. You know, I mean, I don't know how I I know how we got on this, but we we can we can we definitely it. we definitely are fine. So um, the last thing I want to talk about uh, is what do you think about her attitudes about cancel culture? Um. I'm, Both try, of y'all I'm trying like to gather exactly brow. what her. <laughs> I'm, tra- I'm trying to. I'm trying to I'm really trying to remember ga- exactly what she said. What her, yeah. about cancel culture? Fill, fill us in, Lizzie. So she was basically saying like she wants to be shot some bail for the fucked up things that she said because she doesn't. She didn't have the foresight to know what would be on the other side of the opportunities that would be on the other side of the things mm-hmm. that she said and what those things she said could have. Pre- like prevented her from achieving, right? Okay. Um, she was saying like, you know, I talked sh- before I got on SNL, I talked shit about Lauren Michaels having a fucking island, but then I had to like go oh, back right. and fix it, and not know. And yeah. she was like, and she was like, I had to go back and scrub Twitter of like all the mean shit I said about SNL because now I'm in the room and I want to be down. That's real shit. So she wants to shoot bail to other people who make mistakes. Uh-huh. Because she wants that to be done for her. Yeah, I think that's a real emotion. I think that's a. Re- First of all, where I stand I obviously with cancel- is realistic, yeah, right? Where I stand with cancel culture is that it's fucking bullshit. You know what I'm saying? I don't like, think it's a thing. Yeah, it's it's not a thing. It's it's really <laughs> it's not, not a thing. thing. And but but listen, it is just- it is literally like you did something. Mm-hmm. Maybe you didn't think it was a big deal, right? And people find out about it, and they decide if they're going to fuck with you or not. Right. And I, I, I think that we don't give people enough credit for being able to think for themselves right. by calling it cancel culture. Right. Like, you know, I, people were coming at my neck because I was like, y'all need to leave Felicia Rashad alone. Mm-hmm. Like, cut it out. <laughs> right? Um. <clears throat> But, you know, I'm like, she's 70. She She's 70. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> and she and she just got on social media, like, literally, like, six months ago. Yeah. And y'all don't know her. So calm down. Well, like, let, let's take it a step further. And, and, and what did she actually say? And and don't at me, because we've been over this. Like, y'all know how I feel about Bill Cosby. Just fuck him every day of the week. <laughs> right. But, like, that's her friend. Mm-hmm. Maybe she doesn't have this experience with him. Right. And it is hard to see him go through what he's going through. And my position is this, the reason he got out of jail is not some bullshit. 
criminals have civil rights and his were violated. So so it's just kind of like, we're not saying he's innocent, but there was a legal wrong here that was righted. So I'm just like, you know, she, she can be happy that her friend is coming home from jail. Period. We can know niggas in the hood shot and killed five people and be like, free, free my nigga. Yeah. Right. <laughs> no, this nigga's a mass murderer, dog. No, leave him where he is. You know, is. like, my, my cousins have done some things that are not great, but, like, yeah. I'd love to see them be able to come home and hug their mothers. Like, yeah. I think that we don't give people space to mess up, yeah, but, like, we don't have to. And I can, me saying like, leave her alone does not like, that's me. That's how I feel. Mm -hmm. If you feel compelled to be like, I don't fuck with Felicia Rashad anymore. Yeah, that's, I mean, you have the right to do that. Who am I to tell you you have to? Yeah, you you have the right to do it. See, to to me, so, so cancel culture is bullshit. I I agree with you. It's not a thing. But it, it, but what I, what is a thing is losing opportunity for saying or losing position for, for, do, for, for, doing, for doing shit doing you shouldn't have said. Right. So we're right. talking about repercussions. I believe in repercussions. You know what I'm saying? I totally believe in repercussions. What what I don't like, what I so when the shit happened with Chrissy Teigen, I'm sorry, I was happy. <laughs> when, when when the bullshit that happened with her, because yeah. to me she's a perfect example of what it is that I don't fuck with. Right. And and this is not a slight on Chrissy Teigen herself because I don't know her. But the I like idea- the way she handled it though. I mean, yeah, it was I mean And the she- and the universe has not been kind to Chrissy Teigen before this. So like Right. I was just kind of, I'm not going to stop supporting Chrissy Teigen like and and that's cool and you have the right to, you know, uh, like But to- I can't I can't make somebody else support her though. <laughs> And that's a fact. That's, that's and she's fact. not owed anybody's support. There, <laughs> so there it like, is. So, so my my problem with can with what we call cancel culture or repercussion culture, whatever this shit is, is the people that are usually the loudest about wanting apologies and wanting changes from other people. When the shoe was on the other foot, they want all of the grace. They want everything that they touted. To take away from someone else all the repercut like it's it's the thing about accountability that pisses me off, man. It, you know, it's like you just got to be careful of how hard you go when when you're condemning somebody else. That old saying, that like when one finger pointed at somebody else is three pointing back at you. That shit is very very real. Don't throw rocks at a glass house. All that shit is very 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 real. So so to me, it's more about. It's Don't less throw about, rocks at a glass house. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> is that how that went? I, something. Or, <laughs> I, I know what you or, meant. I'm just or whatever. Yeah, young I'm crazy like, you said some wild shit this whole time that I've just been over here like, don't say shit. So like, just let me have that. <laughs> yeah. or, you know what I'm saying? But but it it um, but to me that's what's more of the problem. More of the problem is the people that demand certain things from people for reper. You know that 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 want to be in charge of the repercussion. Fucking uh boat you know those are the people that are a problem to me i promise you like and and it's funny like i wonder if like people's perception of me has changed i remember like very early on um martin you telling me one of your friends was like lizzie's like a hotep flat earther like shout out to you like i I wonder i wonder if like over time you realize like i'm not or (laughs) that i like hate cops and all this stuff (laughs) (laughs) you remember that um yeah yeah So, yeah, he he was a hotel flat earther, so I, I, <laughs> he I was one of him. Yeah, he was he like you game recognized. Oh, <laughs> no, baby, not at all. <laughs> <laughs> um, but you know, like 
I, 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 I just was like, you know what? Christy's been through a lot this year. And for her to be able to turn around and, and, and do what she's doing, it's like, fine. Okay. I'm, I'm not mad at Kevin Hart. Like, it is what it is. Like, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Like, I'm, I didn't ever stop playing Michael Jackson. Like, y'all are not going to make me hate stuff that I love. Like, that's just yeah. what it is. Now, if I decide, I did decide to stop supporting R. Kelly. That was my personal decision. And I ain't got to be consistent all the time. Y'all can kiss my ass. Like, this is how I feel. Yeah. <laughs> so, like, I got Dove body wash in my, in my, in my damn shower. Like, we, we've y'all been off that. To... Me too. <laughs> right. And, y'all, and, and y'all, y'all, for, like, y'all are mad for five minutes. I never stopped fucking with Kanye. Like, yeah. I feel like he needs all the love that he can get. Like, nobody, nobody feels like in somebody else's moment of stumble mm. or fall that they sh- they they should like step back and say like maybe I shouldn't kick you. Mm. Yeah. I I I what I've grown to be over the years is wary of anybody that tries to stir up a a a, a an insurrection. You know what I'm saying that like that you, okay, you remember you remember uh um all right, damn, what was his name and do the right thing? Uh yo Sal bugging out. And, yeah. People like bugging out. I'm very cautious of, bro. Like when you're trying to stir up insurrections, I'm very cautious of it because be, because I have my own perceptions of what personality traits come along with that. You know, like to me real revolution is a little is a little bit more um is is a little bit more um it's just a little bit more poised than that. You know what I mean? It's not it doesn't look like Yo, come fight with me. You know, come, come. It remi- that reminds me of the person that like, it's he. They're very, they're very quiet when they're by them, when they're by themselves. But then when they're with a mob of people, they do things that they would never do when they're by themselves. Like that's what that type of thing. Because they don't know who they of. are outside of that. There they don't go. know. Who, they don't know who they are outside of that chaos. And and, and they don't. And, and they don't feel like they have a purpose outside of it either, <laughs> which is sad. That's that. That's interesting. I never looked at it that way. See, I've always looked at it like, I've always, I look, I've always looked at it like, um, they don't understand the cost of what they're doing, you know, because, because when, because when, uh, what was Bill Nunn's character? Dog, why am I drawing blanks, bro? Radio Raheem. When when a Radio Raheem dies, where do you feel about that? Like, how do you feel about that when it came from something that you started? How do you feel about that? Because you put a battery in his back and he's dead. There you go, and the, and you can never find them when it's and when for that what for and for what? what for and to me that's what those kind of people are. So so it's those kind of but people on Twitter. That's that's kind of one of my favorite parts about cancel culture is like the triple cancel. Mm-hmm. Where it'll be like somebody get canceled for something, and then somebody cancels that person, and then somebody cancels that person, <laughs> and it just keeps going on into infinity. It's a, <laughs> like, can, a cancel menage. Yeah. <laughs> cancel karma. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I love to see it. I love to see it, bro. I really do. But I, I always feel like I've always just like throughout life, even before cancel culture, I think we've all just canceled stuff or not fucked with certain things just because for like arbitrary reasons like i i just never ate at denny's because i heard they were racist one time when i was a kid i didn't know the story my my friend the other day reminded me that i told her no hobby lobby because they would not allow they would not cover birth control for their employees i don't shop at hobby lobby because of that 
I never I knew never that. I never heard that, yeah. That's interesting. Uh, but that's I don't shop there either, but I just never knew that. <laughs> see, to me, that's different. I still go to Chick-fil-A, though. Y'all can kiss my ass. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, see, yeah see, still Chick-fil-A. See to, me, that's, see, to me, that's different, though. Like, as crazy as it sounds, that's different because you're you're talking about you're making a decision for you're making a decision based upon an organization that took a stand on something as opposed to like somebody who just said something whether it be in conversation or whether it be in what they thought was a safe space you know you, a, a stance is different than an opinion to me i know it sounds crazy but like yeah, I, to me that's not wrong. No, that's I mean, not crazy. but that's that's none of it is wrong. If you if you said some shit that made me feel so compelled to not want to make you richer, right. like it doesn't matter. Like, right. and I mean, and, and even with the Chick Fil A thing, like the way that the reason that I'm still eating Chick Fil A is because the person who is doing the damage at the top, they're right. already rich, yeah. and me boycotting doesn't stop them from being rich. They still they're at the top of the supply chain. Right. So so when I don't eat Chick-fil-A up the street, I'm actually hurting the black man who owns the franchise that's closest to me. And yes, he is actually a black man. Yeah. So like, I'm gonna keep eating chicken from the black man. Like, cause that man at the top of the food chain, like the black man has already paid him for the chicken that's in the freezer. Like mm. I'm gonna eat it. So I, I, it's just, you have a personal decision to make and it is yours. Mm -hmm. and, and and people going, I did this thing, but like I should still be able to be rich. Like mm -hmm. maybe you shouldn't. Yeah. I mean, it, you know, I I think um, Sam J, I mean, obviously she's not connected to, to Saturday Night Live anymore. So I guess, she, you know, she has all the space in the world to say that. But I think she wrote a couple episodes last season. I think they bring her on just like when black people come on sometimes. Mm -hmm. If they have like a big episode, they might. Get her the guest right. Yeah. Okay. Which makes it. sense because you want black people to be authentically black, and mm. sometimes people who are not black have trouble with our voice. Can't, right. Yeah. Can't, can't can't do that. Yeah. But to me, her saying that scrub, you know, scrubbing Twitter—that's a shit. That's real. That's that. I'm not. Gonna, I have gone back and scrubbed my own Twitter. Yeah. So like, I'm not mad at her I'm for it. Not mad at that shit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's funny, man. Like whenever I tell somebody, it, it's like a ritual. Like if somebody, like if say. If, you know, we just spent a day together on a project or something like that. And they're like, yeah, let me follow you on Twitter. And I give them my, you know, my Twitter handle. I guaranteed, like, the next hour, like, after I get to a place where I could, like, just search my shit, I'm, like, looking at the, like, the last 20. Like, did I say anything that this person might think is crazy? <laughs> yeah, okay, we're good. <laughs> you know, so uh, highly, I think awareness is, you know, that mm -hmm. that would be that would be my key takeaway for, for you know, pause with Sam J is uh, awareness is is key, bro. Whether it's for survival, whether it's for, you know, um, broadening your knowledge about a certain particular, you know, a, a certain subject, um, you know, becoming a better person, you know, all of these things kind of start with awareness, you know what I mean? And, and that's what I really, really, really fuck with about this, about this show, man, is that it really made me aware of things that, were either barbershop conversation for me, which I don't even fucking go to a barbershop. You ain't got no hair, head. dog. Yeah, I'm a bald head. <laughs> but you know what I'm saying? Like conversation, like locker room conversation with the homies or it's conversation that's non-existent in my life. So I appreciate that for existing six episodes. It felt, you know, I get it. I think it's enough. I want more. Yeah, I definitely want more. I, I'm going to be honest. I don't see them green lighting this again. I don't see them greenlighting this again, if I'm being real. Yeah, I, I would think she, not because they wouldn't do it again. I think she would probably just move on to something bigger and better. I mean, Wyatt Sinek got two seasons of Problems Areas. Like Who did? Wyatt Sinek. Oh, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not hip. 
He's a uh, light skinned black dude on Daily Show. He was on Daily Show when he was a He's a comedic there. actor. He was in Barry Jenkins' first film, Medicine for Melancholy. Oh, medicine. oh that guy. Him. Yeah, the man. Yes, guy. that guy. Okay, yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. Give him the Joey Pants him. Award. Yeah, right, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I rock with him. That's a whole nother conversation. The, the, I'm, it's the, on HBO Max if you want to watch it. It's it's kind of similar. It's him doing interviews with people, but it's it's high, it's way more political than this. It's it's a little less fun. Got it. But um it's still it's still like a comedic take on like yeah. political issues. Got it. Got it. Well shout out to Tiffany Goucher who made an appearance too. I just wanted to say that. She uh she was the the, the when Sam J was like yeah, it's weird having a girl in my house that I that I fuck to your music. It's kind of weird. <laughs> yeah, that was Tiffany Goucher, man. She's a hell of an artist, man. Uh, 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 a hell of an artist, man. If you're not familiar with her music, she's really dope. Um, yeah, Zach Fox is on there, too. He's pretty decent. I mean, but he he's kind of like a comedic rapper, too. But Okay, Zach Fox. He makes okay stuff. Are you guys familiar with that show, um, Flatbush Misdemeanors? That's on Showtime? Oh. You told me about it. Yo, Flatbush Misdemeanor Showtime. Uh, Sam J actually is on an episode of that as well. Um, but uh, one of the main dudes from that show was in one of the episodes. I think episode three. And I forget his name. But Flatbush Misdemeanor. It's just a, it's a comedy show, you know, based in Brooklyn. Two guys. It's, it's hard to explain, man. I think the first episode is free on YouTube. Um, but it's really, really fucking funny. To me, it is. It's very dry humor. But I do like. You, do you kind of wish there was like a lower third or a caption every time like somebody of importance like came up? Nigga, hold on. Or you you like the Easter egg approach where it's like if you know, you know. No, n- well, not not in the not in the social setting space. But can I tell you when they did it, like in the interviews, like the way that they did it, like I, I remember with uh, with Derek Grace, it oh, was yeah. like famous, funny. F- famous, yeah. uh, famous nigga gun advocate, you know, yeah. or or uh, with with the lady that y'all were talking about in the non Sun episode, didn't it say something uh, like like uh, rich bitch doctor or something like that, rich right. nigga doctor or some shit, <laughs> yeah. rich nigga doctor. I, I, I love all of that playing around with the lower thirds, making fucking obscene, you know, lower third names. That shit was hilarious to me, bro. That shit was. I could. I could see how this show probably could offend somebody for sure. If you're. If you're just very like. And when I. I'm gonna say conservative, but I don't mean like politically conservative. I just you mean, mean like socially con- socially conservative. conservative. I can see how if you're just approved in that way, I can see how this will really fuck with you. But to me, it Especially was especially when she whipped out them fucking dildos. Man, the dildos, <laughs> her titties, driving <laughs> driving on the BQE or wherever she was at with her titties hanging out. All of that shit. The face she was making, like, yeah, nigga, my titties out. Yo, I think it's harder to be the driver in that case because you like, yo, nigga, Sam J is really next to me with her fucking titties out. Because it's it's funny, like, oh my gosh. Yeah. Um, I uh, real quick, I'm gonna say this too, and then I I I kind of got it all off my chest personally. Um, I think it was episode four where she went back and she talked to her homeboy from Boston. That ran that oh, scam yeah. after scammer. the uh, after the Boston joint. I felt like that. That I I really liked that conversation because homie, dude, really had a very positive perspective about his experience. You know, it wasn't he didn't come from it from a place of like, yeah, you know, I was locked up and was like remorseful about it or mad about it. It's like he really learned. He really learned a lesson in that. And came out of that a better person, and he he absorbs that as part of his experience. And I just love to see that, man. I love to see when people that do their time 
speak about it, especially when they do their time for something that they actually did. Because there's a lot of people that do time for shit that they didn't do. But when somebody does their time for something they actually did and they come out of it healed and speak from it like not so much that like prison reformed me, but that I reformed in prison. You know what I'm saying? And like and and I have a different perspective and a second lease on life. And they speak from that perspective because uh, the other way around, man, when you're not taking accountability, man, I think that leads more souls down the line, you know. Um, but anyhow, that's my take on that. Uh, anything else you guys want to talk about with pause with Sam J? Nope. Bet. Well, that's the end of that. I have a whole gnat flying in my face. So if you can see video, I'm like, <laughs> I, I didn't know what that was happening. I just thought like it was some hand signals a going on. Fucking like gnat trying to like get in my mouth, and it's pathetic. It's ridiculous. <laughs> Uh, but yeah man I love this content I hope HBO keeps coming with it I hope they get a season 2 but if not I hope you know somebody else has the opportunity to pick this up um, and, and and Killer Mike man if you're not working on season 2 of fucking Trigger Warning please do it and bring it back man I, I need something else to talk about in this space um, y'all know the vibes check out our Instagram and our Facebook at Kinda K-I-N-D-A Movie Critics or on Twitter at Kinda Movie crits c-r-i-t-s uh rate review subscribe whatever man whatever just stay in tune with us man we 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 need the engagement we need the interaction and we appreciate the loyalty from the fans that have uh stuck with us since day one and have accumulated throughout uh remember we call ourselves kind of movie critics because we kind of are and we kind of not just a bunch of people that like to watch movies this has been an on-ear network production